Welcome to Attached, a platform for adding breadth and depth to everyday living. I'm Yaakov Danishevsky, and this is the conversation series focused on my book. In each episode, I invite a special guest to discuss the topic of a particular chapter and how it relates to our lives. Okay. Welcome to the Attached Conversation Series for my second conversation discussing chapter one of my book. Today I have the privilege of meeting with Dr. Daniel Gottlieb. So let me summarize briefly chapter one and tell you who Dr. Gottlieb is and why I've invited him specifically for this conversation. So chapter one, again in very brief, is about the essential nature of relationships and the essential nature of relationships, not for the sake of meeting some external need that the relationship can provide me, but for the, the relationship for the sake of relationship, for experiencing the bond and the attachment and the closeness that two people can share in a way that is profoundly unique and enriching and nourishing and gives us what we need in our lives. And somehow it seems to me that as a society and a culture, we both know this and don't know this. And that to me is kind of the mystery and part of what I'd lo love to have a conversation here, Dr. Gottlieb's insight on. And of course, in this particular book, the direction I go with that is both our relationships with other fellow human beings, but most significantly what I focus on in this book is the relationship that we can develop with a higher power, with a creator and with God. And so, I've invited Dr. Gottlieb for this conversation. Uh, on a personal level, I will say that it's a little bit of a, a starstruck moment for me to sit here because uh, if anyone has seen my copy of Letters to Sam, Dr. Gottlieb's book, one of his books, uh, it is quite uh, battered and bruised and worn out as it sits on my shelf. And I've recommended that book as a reading to so many people. I was introduced to the book actually years ago, probably about 11 years ago by a good friend and I've read it and quoted it in, in talks and shiurim and lectures that I have the privilege to give many, many times. And uh, Dr. Gottlieb has a very profound life story and life journey and life work. He is a, to, the, the bio is extensive and the accomplishments are extensive. So in brief, uh, he, he is a psychologist, uh, an author, a speaker, a talk show host, and so many other things. And on his business card, I think it simply says Dan Gottlieb, human. Uh, but his work revolves around relationships and compassion and kindness and openness and curiosity. So Dr. Gottlieb, I, I turn to you, curious to hear what you thought about and what resonated or didn't resonate and what came up for you in, in looking at chapter one of the book and the essential nature of relationships. There, there was one missing, one relationship missing. You talked about our connection to others, our connection to higher power, God. Our connection to ourselves is sorely missing. I, I see it with my patients. I see it with my friends. They're just disconnected from themselves. They don't know at any given moment what they're feeling, what emotion they're feeling, unless they're stopped and reflect. Um, they often can't sense pain in their bodies. Um, and they can't sense, you referred to this, Yaakov, kind of a, a, 
an ache that's in there, an ache for other, a longing to be held. We don't see that in ourselves. We don't feel it in ourselves. Um, we turn our back on our own vulnerability, if you will. Uh, as long as I'm in this uh, road here about vulnerability and disconnecting from selves, I want to tell you one brief story. Um, I was abused by my seventh grade teacher. And for years after the abuse, I had this fantasy of going into the room where little Danny was and the teacher and, you know, killing him or shooting him. I'd have that fantasy over and over. And then at one point, I went into that room and I looked over at that boy laying in bed, naked, scared, confused. And I climbed into bed with him. And I held him. And that changed everything. And the point of that story is we abandon ourselves. Almost every single person that I, I meet with talks about a time of pain or trauma or loneliness in their lives in their childhood. And they abandon that child in pain. Um, Yakov, my favorite song in the world, is The Long and Winding Road by the Beatles. And, and you know, the last line is, that leads me back to your door. My vision of that is that we open that door and we find ourselves in the deepest sense of the word, ourselves that has been waiting for us often for years. So that's the relationship that personally um, I think we need to begin with and and then to others, the larger world and, and I guess the higher power God is kind of the underpinnings of, of that perhaps gives us the security to explore, you know, to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you have a, a sense of why you think we've abandoned ourselves so much? What, what contributes to that? And I guess also to go together with that, how have you come to reconnect with yourself? I am working on a book now and the title of the book is I Broke My Neck and My Soul Began to Breathe. Um, I, you know, you know, I've been a quadriplegic for 43 years. I just had the anniversary. Um, I am the same person I was before the accident but more so. My mask was shattered. 
and I've no choice but to be vulnerable. You know, I've I've had sessions where I'm with the patient, and my catheter leaked, and my pants are wet, and so's the floor. I can't not be vulnerable with my patient. So I think that's part of the learning is that we tend to turn our backs on our own vulnerability. You know, we are ashamed of our own vulnerability, this quote-unquote weakness we see. And really, you know, people call me strong. I don't think I'm strong. But to me, the definition of strength is to be comfortable with your own vulnerability. So someone who's who's listening, let's say, who is trying to to engage this, let's say, but this sounds foreign to them, they don't have that kind of forced need to engage and grapple with their vulnerability, at least not in a way that they're conscious of, because I think on some level we all do, but at least yeah. not as overt or in a way that they're they're as conscious of. How would they begin even trying to explore this 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 way of coming back into connection with themselves in a deeper and more vulnerable way. Well, first I would ask them if they want to. <laughs> they don't want to, you know. Um, well, I, I start with there's a quote, and I'm going to screw it up, uh, and I <laughs> I can't remember who uh, had it, but but the quote is this. He said, I suffered and people told me I should get help, but I resisted. And I continued to suffer and they continued to tell me I need help, but I said no. And then one day somebody came to me and said, you're fine the way you are. And he said, and I relaxed, and I got help. Hmm. Um, I think it starts with self-compassion. Uh, and that might be hard to do for so many of us, because we've got that, you know, critical judge. Compassion for the good person that you are, you know. You look in the mirror, look in your eyes deeply, and you'll find yourself. You'll find that goodness. And you can feel compassion for that good person who might be suffering right now. Um, I, that's part of what's gotten me through these 43 years. My poor body has been battered, as you can imagine several near-death experiences, multiple hospitalizations. I used to, in the beginning, um, hate my body. I would call it a terrorist. Um, and over time, I've come to love my body. I feel such deep gratitude for how hard it has been working 
these 43 years to keep me alive. So, you know, when something happens, when I feel my pain gets bad or whatever happens, I feel compassion for that part of my body that's suffering at this moment. Um, so I think that's where it starts. Yeah. Is, you know, you talk about this. We all do in this field. Kindness. starts with kindness towards ourselves. In one of the later chapters in the book, actually, uh, I, I mentioned this story, uh, which I think relates a lot to what you're talking about. There's a story they say about a, a Hasidic Rebbe who, who was, was in a conversation with somebody who had kind of gone into a different, uh, different path from uh, what's called the Haskalah, right, the enlightened. And uh, this enlightened fellow was telling this, this Rebbe that he starts off, he said, you know, Rabbi, every morning I start off trying to say the prayers, and the very first prayer of the day is Moda'ani, Moda'ani lefanecha, melech. So I start out by saying these words, Moda'ani, I admit before you, I acknowledge lefanecha before you, melech, the king, ha'olam, of the world. And then I get stuck because I start asking myself, king, is God a king? What does it mean for God to be a king? How could God be a king? Can we compare a non-physical being like God to a, to a physical being like a king? And so I get stuck and I get lost in the okay. questions and the philosophy and then I can't continue. And so the, the Hasidic rabbi said back to him, wow, you actually do pretty well because you make it all the way to the word melech, which is like the fourth or fifth word in, in the prayer. I get stuck after the second word. We say moda ani, which in English is translated to I admit, but in the Hebrew is admit I, right? So, so ani, I get stuck on the second word of, of I. And I start asking myself, who am I? What am I? Who, who is this being? What is this body? What is this soul? Yeah. Before I can even get to thinking about God, I'm, I'm lost in thinking about who I am, which I yeah. think really relates to what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But somehow it's also, I think, there's some, there's some sort of cyclical or spiral nature to it, right? Because even as you alluded to before, the belief in God and having a relationship with God and, and really also other people is what can often provide that secure foundation for the self-exploration and for the vulnerability and for the ability to take the mask off. When I know that there is a being who believes in me and loves me, and I've had those experiences with other people or with a higher being, and that, that's what kind of lays the ground for me to be able to have that potential to explore. So it, it kind of has like a, there's a, there's a, I don't know what comes first necessarily in terms of the, the chicken or the egg. Um, people have asked me a lot about faith and, and what it is and can a non-believer have faith? I thought a lot about the definition of faith and it took me to when I learned to float. Uh, I, I was a kid. I had no idea how the water would hold my body up. That made no sense to me. And P.S., it still makes no sense. But, so, so I don't know if you remember, you know, you laid on the water and you started the doggy paddle because you were sure you were going to, and of course you did. 
there's one point where you gave up, you let go, and allowed the water to hold you. And to me, faith is about giving up control and allowing what you can't see, what you don't understand, to hold you. Hmm. And that's where security comes from. Yeah. Wow, which I guess really relates to what you were saying before, right? The, the being secure enough to allow for the insecurity. Yeah. Right, that strength is off is is the the strength to be to be to be weak, to allow yourself to be weak. Right. Which actually is the story in in your book, Letters to Sam, that I most recently quoted. I gave a pre a pre Yom Kippur uh, talk, um, and I spoke about about change and vulnerability, and I quoted the story. I think it's called Hazards, where you talk about driving on the highway and turning your hazards on. When we drive slowly without hazards, everyone's honking and giving us the finger and giving us a hard time. If we put our hazards on, people seem to somehow respect that. It's um, how people respond to a vulnerable person. Um, a vulnerable mammal. I mean, you know, dogs that are injured. I mean, you know, our hearts open. Um, and I think that's how we've survived uh, as a species as we open our hearts to those who are vulnerable. I mean, I, it's too bad because I get to see the best in people every day. You know, they open doors, they make eye contact. The, the other day I was in Center City, Philadelphia, and my nurse pulled uh, the van, my wheelchair van, over. Um, and dropped the lift for me to go up the lift. And it was a little too steep. And my chair started to tip back. My nurse was in the driver's seat. I was on the passenger side. And she couldn't get to me fast enough. All of a sudden, I felt two hands on my shoulders. And a woman's voice saying, I got you. You're okay. She held me there till my nurse came around and took over. I never saw that woman's face. Wow. She just walked away. Wow. That's us humans. At the deepest sense, that's who we are. Now, that's a dramatic example, but I mean, I see smaller examples all the time. So what's getting in the way for us with that? Because statistically, it seems to be that relationships in general are struggling. And culturally, it seems that we're, again, like I said, somehow at the same time, to me, this is always mysterious, because like I, I said very briefly in the beginning, somehow it's like we know this and we don't know this at the same time. You know, if you would say to someone, you know, relationships are among the most important thing a person can have, you know, it, I think people know that. But yet it seems like we don't know it. Uh, you know, the external supports have just been taken away for relationships. The, uh, almost the bricks and mortar of community um, have been taken away. 
geez, I forget the man's name, but he wrote maybe 20 years ago, more, Bowling Alone. Mm, yeah. You know, captures the nature of what's going on here. And, and it's really hard to find community. Um, I find it in my synagogue. Um, I found it, I've since retired from my radio show, but um, I found it there. Um, you know, we care about each other, you know, and that's the main reason I go to synagogue, you know, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, for community and because, you know, I love my rabbi. Uh, but yeah, we ache, we ache for community, all of us, you know. Um, and you addressed loneliness and, and how the Surgeon General addressed that, thank God. Um, but it, it's not just here, it's worldwide. Um, England has a minister of loneliness. Really? As does Japan. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. For some reason, I had to research it for a lecture I was giving. What do they do? <laughs> um, Set up <laughs> that, social that events. No, know. wow, that's really that's yeah. really amazing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it's not about us. You know, it's about them. So you want to deal with your loneliness? Look at somebody and smile at them. You know, see, look in their eyes and know that they suffer, have suffered, that they have anxiety, that they ache for love and security. Everyone you look at, it's you. It's everyone you look at. And, you know, that enables you to open your heart to feel less threatened. I, uh, sorry, go ahead. You were just... No, that's all. I, 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 one of the things that I personally feel a little bit of a tension with in terms of what you were bringing up in the beginning, which I so deeply agree with, but I feel a little bit of a tension around the coming to know ourselves in a very deep way and the relationship with ourself and trying to be our most authentic self and spending time getting to know ourself because I've seen, at least it seems to me, I've seen people who engaging in that kind of self-searching have ended up drifting away from important relationships in their life, whether it's in communal contexts or more personal contexts. And they've in in that kind of under the 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 guise or the label of self-searching have become more self-centered and what you're talking about now is is actually a self-searching but in the context of relationship and with others and i think that tension and that somehow that balance that dialectic is is incredibly important i don't know exactly how to frame it or how to capture it but it's a tension that i that I feel, and because I, I feel very passionate about this relationship with self, but then I also feel this, this, this constant kind of 
concern of the the isolation and and the, and the self absorption that can be the near enemy of that search for the authentic self. So, I say this: that look in someone's eyes, look at someone's eyes deeply and long enough, so that you can see their soul. And that, perhaps, is the only way you can find your own. So that bridges. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and, and think about what we're about, who we are, what we want. And, and I love something uh, New York Times columnist David Brooks said in one of his uh, books, he said there's two kinds of resumes. You know, one is the one we know about. Um, but there's another resume, he said. And that's what you want people to say about you at your funeral. Hmm. You know, do they want you to say, you know, all the things you've accomplished, all the money you might have amassed, all the power you want to say you were kind? loving, generous of spirit, available. So, you know, I tell people, get to work on your resume. <laughs> resume builders. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a, new, a new name for, uh, for therapists. <laughs> yeah, his, his uh, David Brooks's uh, book, uh, The Second Mountain, actually I, is, is uh, one of the, uh, the, the, inspirations or influences for the for the book that I wrote as well uh, when he talks about how he had this tremendous he talks about this in a, in a TED talk uh, for anyone who doesn't want to read the full book it's a shorter it's like a 10-15 minute TED talk he does an amazing job of talking about how he had climbed this first mountain how he had an incredibly successful career and then I think he had recently gotten divorced and his kids went off to college and he realized that he had a lot of work friends and work success and no life friends and no life success. And he reimagined and recreated himself as being somebody who was more focused on relationships than on career. And it transformed his life and really reoriented himself. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, when I had my accident, I mean, I mean, you say we know it and we don't know it about relationships. When I had my accident, it was about 60 miles from my house. and uh, A truck tire, you know, when there's 18 mil truck, bounced across the highway and crushed my car and uh, broke my neck. Well, the only thing I remember is as they were taking me out of, of my car, I said, call everybody I know to get here right away. I don't remember anything for the next several days after that. But, you know, in shock, I knew what I needed. That's the gut instinct. And you know what? Yeah. They came, and I survived. And I thrived. And, and I think, in no small part, because they came. Yeah. You know, it's what, it's what you're saying in your book i mean uh, we have the loving care of others we can we can make it we can be okay you know 
there, there's um, a uh, philosopher who recently said it's not about survival of the fittest. It's about survival of the nurtured. Hmm. Which is exactly what you address at yeah. the beginning of your chapter. Yeah. You know, we don't get nurtured, we're in trouble. And and my professional experience, personal, is I I've worked with people who had unbelievable childhoods. Um, and they're okay. They survived and even thrived. But every one of them said the same thing. There was somebody there when I needed them. And my message is you be that somebody. Yeah, I wrote a, uh, a an article or a kind of a, an open letter to uh, to teachers uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and uh, in one of the Jewish magazines called Mishpacha magazine, and uh, <laughs> and um, it was talking about exactly this point that with the clients and the people that I've sat with, those who had incredibly challenging childhoods, the what I'm always trying to do in in the in the work with them is to find some some peace, some somewhere that there was a light in the darkness to build off of, so that we're not just kind of trying to create a sense of self and a positive sense of self ex nihilo from nowhere. But there, everyone has somewhere, even if it's tiny. But there's something, some light piercing through, and again and again, what I've always found is that there was one teacher or there was one relative or there was there was someone somewhere who played that role and when you can identify that person it's it can be completely transformative to this person's ability to rebuild themselves and to then nourish themselves by having that foundation like you said that that security almost the water for them to allow themselves to float on yeah. you know when i first got in the field um, it was all about Freud and psychoanalysis. And essentially, I'm oversimplifying, but you know, they used to find uh, the pathology, the darkness, what's, what's underneath it, um, and work on what's bad or wrong or causing pain. But now, you know, it's, it's like you say, you know, we're looking for the positive. We're looking to nurture the positive, to grow that part rather than shrink the other. Yeah. You know, uh, my daughter said to me once, she was in a lot of trouble. Uh, she had been using drugs, uh, but more important, she had severe, severe anorexia and we almost lost her. And she said to me once, she was... 19 years old. She said, Daddy, I feel like I am a diamond inside of a tumor. And she said, I don't know what's going to win. And I've carried that vision, obviously, with me. And what you're talking about now, what we're talking about, is nurturing that diamond 
to destroy the tumor. What a powerful image. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my Debbie. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending uh, this time with me. Thank you uh, for all the things that you've contributed and, and wrote and shared. And I continue to read and learn from you. And it's really a, a privilege to, to have met you and uh, gotten to, to spend this time with you. Well, I've enjoyed this thoroughly. I've enjoyed learning about your life, too, and, and what you do. And um, as a fellow human, I want to thank you for your work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Be well. so much for listening if you enjoyed this please follow us on whatsapp youtube or instagram all our podcast series can be found wherever you listen to podcasts i'd love to hear from you so please reach out with questions comments or suggestions or to be added to our whatsapp groups you can reach us through email using yakov y-a-k-o-v dot attached at gmail.com or on whatsapp at 773-888-2413